What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. WrestleMania, brother. That's a great question. Look at you, man, with the powerful questions. (laughs) Woo! This is the Chris Van Vliet Show. Chris Van Vliet Show. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Van Vliet! Oh, man! Welcome back to the Chris Van Vliet Show, and thank you. For making this one of the most listened to podcasts in the world last week. We're not just talking about wrestling podcasts, but all sports. I mean, it's it's such an honor to see the show in the Apple Top 200 with shows from ESPN, Barstool Sports, Fox Sports, NFL, of course, you know, Talk is Jericho, MLB. You get the point. I'm just so grateful for you and I appreciate you. This episode is brought to you by Bet Online and Blue Chew and stand back because there's a hurricane coming through. Shane Helms, Hurricane Helms, the Hurricane, Gregory Shane Helms, whatever you want to call him, he is so awesome. And so is this conversation with him. You're obviously familiar with his work in the ring with WCW, WWE, and TNA, but he had most recently been working as a producer for WWE until April 15th when he was part of the release along with so many other superstars and employees, both on camera and behind the scenes. But it sounds like he has a lot lined up now. New merch and, of course, his podcast, Highway to Helms, which you can find in the same place where you're listening to this episode. And we are getting so close, so close to that goal of a 1,000 reviews on the podcast. We're now at 885 And as I mentioned two episodes ago, we've moved the goalposts up. So back, we've moved them. We've moved the goalposts. I I think we're moving them back. Yes, we're, no, we're moving them. I don't know. But the original goal was a thousand reviews before the end of the year. The new goal has become a thousand reviews in the first year of the podcast. So our podcast anniversary is June 24th. So that gives us like six weeks to get 115 reviews. That seems like a lot, but, you know, I know we can do this. And if you're listening to this on your iPhone or iPad, please take a few seconds right now to take that out of your pocket. Or if it's an iPad, it will not be in your pocket. That's That'd be a really large pocket if your iPad was in your pocket. But leave those five stars or even, even type out a few words like Razurian. Razurian? Yeah, I think that's what it is. Razurian listening all the way in Belgium. And I look, I know the internet's been in our home 
for the last like 20 ish years and it's been in our pockets for like the last 12 ish, 13 ish, but it still blows me away that I'm sitting here in my spare bedroom and you're in some other state or some other country or some other continent and you're listening to this. Ah, the internet. But back to Rosarian in Belgium who says, Great interviewer. Chris is a true artisan when it comes to interviewing. Each and every time, he continues to set the bar higher. Subscribe, and you won't regret it. He gets amazing guests and isn't afraid to ask the tough questions while always staying respectful of his guests. Well, thank you for the kind words. And, and thank you for subscribing and for leaving a review and helping to spread the word about the show. Let's get it out there. Let's, let's get it on the Apple Top 200 every single week. Right now, it's like every few weeks. How about every single week it's on the Apple Top 200? That'd be incredible. Hmm. I know that you want to let all your friends know about this interview with Shane Helms. It's such a good one. What a great guy. Take a screenshot. Tag me at Chris VanVleet. Tag him. He's at ShaneHelms.com. And when he made his debut in 1991... I mean, that was almost 30 years ago, which means actually next year is 30 years in the wrestling business. Like you, you might have first become familiar with him as a cruiserweight in WCW. We talk about how he got signed there and how Three Count came to be with Shannon Moore and Evan Courageous. Get up on your feet. Put your hands together. You know what I'm talking about. They also talk about how, uh, how Stone Cold and The Rock were the ones who led to the creation of the Hurricane in 2002. And of course, it changed his career completely with one of the most likable and creative characters in the history of wrestling. He talks about the sidekicks that he had in Rosie, Molly Holly, and Stacey Keebler, and how he wanted to turn heel and become Gregory Shane Helms. Let's dive into it. Here we go. It's Hurricane Helms. <laughs> Well, Shane, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for making the time. Oh, man, my pleasure, man. Great to finally uh, chit-chat. Yeah, it's about time, right? From uh, one little podcaster over here myself to uh, someone like you who's been uh, doing very well with it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I just realized I started podcasting for the very first time when I left WWE back in 2010. Oh, wow. So that's when I first brought Highway to Helms to uh, iTunes and all of that kind of a platform. So uh, 10 years later... Released from WWE again. <laughs> my podcast. For you to be podcasting 10 years ago, that, that makes you like one of the OG wrestling podcasters. Oh, yeah, for sure. In terms of like uh, mainstream pro wrestlers, uh, you know, I know Colt Cabana came out with his around at the same time. Um, I started doing video podcasting. Uh, I was live streaming it. I would record the shows, put them on DVDs, sell them at my indie shows. <laughs> I was a... Uh, yeah, I was kind of ahead of the curve on, the, on a lot of stuff. But uh, also what I did, too, was I kept taking breaks because I podcasting is more difficult than people realize, as, as you well know. And I would just get kind of burnt out, you know, especially because I would do a live video show. I would have people in my home. Now we got all these, you know, uh, up-to-date studio, in-studio. You can stream it a lot easier. Back then, it wasn't quite as easy. Yeah. And internet traffic is the most unpredictable traffic of all time. So. Um, if I did something over Skype back in those days, you know, it would one day it'd be great. The next day it would be God awful. And that just really drove me crazy. So that's one of the reasons I kind of hiatus from it for a while. 
I always tell people podcasting is, and YouTube is such a labor of love because you, you put so much time into it, so much effort into it. And then you put this thing out there that you put sometimes weeks into and like, you know, a handful of people consume it and you go, oh, is this really worth my time to do this? Yeah. So the, uh, totally agree with everything, single thing you just said this. So the recent rendition of version of Highway to Helms, I just do myself. 51 episodes in and it's just me every week. I try to keep it 30 to 45 minutes because there's a lot longer podcasts out there that I listen to. And sometimes I'm kind of like, come on, let's just get to the end of it. Uh, so I kind of keep mine a little bit shorter than that. And it's just me. So sometimes I run out of shit to say. <laughs> so how are you holding up with everything that's going on? Not bad. Not bad at all, man. I'm in a super fortunate situation, you know, uh, I've uh, been fortunate to make a, a lot of money in the pro wrestling industry. Uh, actually, one of the few that saved uh, some of it. Not all. Definitely <laughs> wish I would have saved more. A couple of investments I wish I hadn't made here and there, but um, I did okay. You know, and my family's kind of isolated anyway. We're on a farm. So when I'm not on the road, I don't go anywhere anyway. So this wasn't a big change for me. Um, and because I was getting paid to sit at home and basically do nothing, I was kind of preparing for the worst in terms of employment. So uh, I started, I'm, I'm a proactive kind of guy. So I kind of started making plans for uh, that phone call, or in this case, the text to come through. But the text uh, for people out there that love to badmouth WWE, the text was followed with a phone call. And I had good conversations with the WWE. And it's just a situational thing, man. The world's in a crazy place right now. So, I, and, and I'm a, sometimes annoyingly positive guy you know sometimes to my detriment i look for the uh, positive side of things so uh that's, that's just what i do i'm trying to stay positive and have fun and find a way to have make the best of a bad situation i guess All right, so what's the what's the silver lining in this one shane uh the silver lining is it's a new challenge you know i mean anytime you get knocked down you have to get back up you know uh, i've said a million times when you're walking through hell the only way to get out is to keep walking that's the only way out. So, um, and I've always stayed busy, you know, uh, pro wrestling, although that is my main love, it's not the only thing I do. You know, I've been podcasting for years. I've been involved in uh, several different things uh, throughout my life. So, I mean, I got a couple other projects that are in the works right now and um, nothing I really want to talk about until the ink dries, but sure. um, I'm always going to be involved in pro wrestling. That's, that's my, that's my number one love. That's my number one passion. I know I still got a lot to offer. So, I'm always going to be involved in that, but I stay busy, you know, and I got a family too. So my boys, you know, they, you know, they're the light of my life. So uh, if I hadn't have been furloughed, this time ha has been really good for, good for the family. We've done a lot of stuff together, you know, being on the road with WWE, that, that schedule is rough, you know? Yeah. So uh, it was a small blessing to be at home with my family. So you say you were getting paid to sit at home. That was during these shows that without the fans up until then you were on the road every single week, right? Oh yeah. On the road every single week. And you know, the uh, first half of uh, 2019 uh, WWE had allowed me to complete all my indie obligations. Cause I was a very active performer, you know, uh, yeah. you know, 2017 and 18, if there was a big show, hurricane was on it, you know, <laughs> basically. And, um, and that's because I love, you know, I still love doing this crazy stuff. Had my first match in 1991 and, uh, all the way up to 2019, you know, so that, that's a lot of years and a lot of banging on the body. But WWE, uh, like I said, in 2019, they will let me do all my indies. So every weekend I'm doing an indie 
Then I go to Monday Night Raw, and then I'd have to do SmackDown, and then the pay-per-view. So it was rough. You know, the first part of 2019 was pretty rough. Uh, the last half got a little bit easier because I didn't have to do Indies, but uh, not easy compared to not traveling. You know, so yeah, um, yeah, a lot, a lot of time on the road. For those that might not know, because they weren't seeing you in the ring, you were working as a producer. So what's some of the segments that you kind of had your fingerprints all over uh, before you were released? Oh, man, it's kind of that, that's kind of hard to say whenever you started talking about that, because I had a recent inst- instant recently where I was talking about the winner take all. You know, I was the one that came up with that stipulation. And then there were people that said, oh, you took Oscar out of the match. No, no, the match was set. I just came up with a stipulation, you know. So anytime you mention something like that, you really open a can of worms that really right. suck, you know. But I had my hands in a lot of good things. But fortunately, I was working with a lot of talented people too. So if I mention that, what any segments I was involved in, I don't want to take credit away from the talents. Because no matter what, if I called to play, they had to run the play and they deserve the majority of the credit. So how did you make the transition from, you know, almost a 30-year career in the ring to starting to do some stuff behind the scenes because you were working for TNA behind the scenes, a Ring of Honor, and you know now most recently WWE. Well, yeah, I was a producer with TNA first, and that really came at a good time because I had torn my ACL, so I was really inactive uh, physically. I could I just actually couldn't perform. So um, that opportunity came along. John Gabor was the one that hired me, uh, gave me that opportunity, and uh, when they first offered me the job, I said no. I wasn't sure. I'm not sure I want to do this. I need to be because I've seen uh, some of the producers and agents in WWE that I had dealt with in my career. And it's a thankless job. You know, you get no credit. You get chewed out by the boss for shit you had nothing to do with at the time. So I wanted to make sure that I liked it. And in TNA, I fell in love with that position. You know, I was working with a lot of good people and and people trusted me, too. You know, they trusted my opinion. They trusted my vision. And so I had a good had a good relationship there. You know, it kind of. When the new owners came in with not necessarily Anthem, but uh, when uh, Jeff Jarrett and them came in and he had a problem with the Hardys, I got caught up in shrapnel heat there. And that's that's kind of the, what happened with that story. Now, me and Jeff have made amends and moved on, but, you know, that's still what happened. Uh, then I did a little stuff with Ring of Honor, but that was all uh, just in-ring talent with them. And I started to do some uh, coaching down at WWE uh, while I was in Ring of Honor. And... WWE knew that producing was what I wanted to do. Like if uh, they wanted me to be a coach, without a doubt, I can do that. Um, I feel like my strength is more of a finishing coach, not finish a maneuver. But once you get to a certain level to keep you better, mm-hmm. um, I think teaching basic moves, I, I, you got a lot of people that can do that. But to get you to go from, you know, to get you to go from good to great, you need sure. a, a finishing coach. And so, um, that was going to, I, I feel like in coaching would have been my strength, but they knew I wanted to be a producer, but I was going to have to move down to Orlando at one point. And I was kind of wrestling with that because I got a good family situation here in North Carolina. I got a situation set up in North Carolina that this, this is uh, the last home I'll live in, so to speak. So mm. I wasn't sure about the moving to Orlando thing. And I was wrestling with that. And then I got a call from Triple H, you know, offer me to, you know, um, to go to the main roster as a producer without having to be a coach. And I was like, wow, without a doubt, yes. And so I was doing that, uh, but also they gave me a talent contract. You know, uh, if you've seen, if you follow me on Instagram, you know, they put out a, a new action figure of me and actually two that were doing really well. So I kind of had a talent contract too. Um, but I love producing, man. It's, it's, it's a coaching, it's uh, being a mentor, it's helping people out. And, 
you know, if I can't be in there, nothing makes me feel as good than coming up with an idea and it actually works. Right. Did you have someone in your career that was the finishing coach, the one that took you kind of from good to that next level that, you know, we've seen you performing at for the last pretty much 20 years? You had, you had, you had a lot of people, man. And that, and that roster, you know, I was very fortunate, you know, um, with, with the group of people that I got to work with and the people that I got to, to befriend, you know, uh, the Undertaker was a huge uh, help for me. Ric Flair was a huge help for me. Guys like Chris Jericho were a huge help for me. Um, you know, you you got to pick, pick and choose. You know, what I mean, find people that can really help you. And believe it or not, you you'll get some advice from some some of the weirdest people. You know, and and sometimes that really is going to work. You know, you can't close yourself off to any uh, information. But um, you know, there was a time in the business where, you know, if you watch Monday Night Raw, if you were on Monday Night Raw Tuesday, when we would normally film SmackDown, mm. they would have a monitor in catering and everybody's around that monitor watching their matches from Monday night, the night before, having a veteran there beside them or an agent going over their match, watching it and struggling. That disappeared. And that's a huge mistake because mm. that was one of the things that in WWE helped me more than anything watching that. Cause sometimes you're going to think it's great. You get lost up. You get lost in the moment sometimes because the crowd might react, and, but they might react just because they like you. You know what? That's the good thing about, you know, when they say less is more about once you get over it. Yes, that is true. But there's a, there's a flip side to do that, to that, that fans sometimes will cheer for you, even if it's not good. Right. You know, so you gotta be careful about that and you can very easily get stagnant when that happens. So, um, that, that was a huge benefit to sit there and just watch the match with somebody that's going to give it to you, not pat you on the ass because patting you on the ass isn't going to help you get better. You need somebody to go, hey, this sucks. Or, hey, you need to fix this. You need to work on this. That's the only way you get better. Mm. If next year is going to be your 30-year anniversary uh, since you debuted, are you going to make? You going to have some matches? Are you going to work some indies maybe? Uh, yeah, like I never actually said I was retired. That never yeah. came out of my mind. Yeah. Never heard Hurricane say that. Um, when actually my last match happened in 2019 uh, with Chikara, was the company I was working for. Uh, when that happened, I really didn't even realize that this was coming up. You know, I'm sitting there, I'm doing all the WWE stuff. I'm doing my indies. And sometimes it's just a signing. Sometimes it's just an appearance. And then I realized, oh, man, like two weeks before, I think, oh, man, this is going to be the last match that I have on the books. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. Right. And that hit me hard because this is all I've ever wanted to do. I went to my first live event in 1979, five years old. You know, I got involved in the industry with the first company in 1988. I was a referee at 15 in 1990. And in 1991 at 16, I had my first match. This is all I've ever wanted to do. Then all of a sudden, I'm not going to do it anymore. And that was yeah. rough. You know, uh, I'm an emotional guy. <laughs> I pull a big player and start crying in a heartbeat. I'll cry right now. But, um, <laughs> and then Kakari too, man. Mike Quackenbush, son of a bitch. They all come out there and they start, you know, cheering for me. And I had to do this speech and I was sappy as hell. It was rough. And not only that, then every week I had to go and look at a ring every single Monday. Or yeah, Tuesday yeah. Or Friday. And uh, I was just saying this yesterday on um this uh, interview I was doing, I was like, it's like a drug addict, but you're looking at the drug every single week going, there it is. There it is. That's where I want to be. And um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely uh, want to have more matches. You know, I, 
everybody that knows me knows that. So I, I want to have more matches and more than more than likely I will. Uh, when the whole virus thing virus thing happened, I immediately got back on the treadmill. Just in case <laughs> I gotta be what I like to call spandex friendly. Because right now, well, I'm 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 getting there now. I'm getting there now. Um, something will come out tonight. Is I don't know when this is going to air. Is this airing live? I, no, we're not live right now. Don't worry. Okay, so something that's going to come out tonight that you'll see me in the spandex. So I'm I'm back in the spandex. Um, that producer workout regiment wasn't strict. <laughs> <laughs> I've I seen what catering looks like backstage. It's it, I don't know how anyone stays in shape. <laughs> catering is awesome. It's fantastic. Right. So um, so yeah, but um, I'm I'm back in spandex shape. So uh. I think you'll see me, see me in the ring again. I was so excited uh, to see you in, at the Royal Rumble in 2018. I feel like, the, you know, that was such a nice surprise. That's what the Royal Rumble is all about is those nice surprises. At what point did you get told that you were going to be a, a surprise entrant in the Rumble? It was only a couple of weeks before, maybe like a week and a half, two at the most. Um, and that came across, that came about, and I've told this a few times, but I'll share it with you. I had put up a post on Instagram. I, I got that booking because of Instagram. If I'm being mm. um, or at least partial, I got to give partial credit to Instagram because WWE has wanted me in the Rumble before, but I was either with a different company or I was injured. It just wasn't the right time. Yeah. Well, now fast forward to 2018, and uh, Enzo Amore had uh, gotten in trouble. Some he got released or something, and he was the cruiserweight champion. And I don't remember if he was, but something had happened with him, and I. I want to, don't want to speak bad about him because I don't know all the details on that situation. So, sure. and he would be a perfect villain for the hurricane, by the way. <laughs> I said that before, you know, still say, um, but something didn't happen with him. So I had, uh, you know, I have the WCW cruiserweight champion. That was the last WCW cruiserweight champion. So I still have that title. And I put up a picture of that and a replica of the uh, WWE cruiserweight title. And I say, like, Hey, I know a guy. <laughs> and like I, I know a guy's been one of my sayings for a, a long, long time. So that just kind of went viral. And it was at a time when WWE was like, man, we need to, who, who do we get as a surprise? This viral picture pops up. It's like, oh, yeah, we can finally get Hurricane. Yeah. So they called and uh, asked me about it. And I was like, yeah, sure. And what I love the most about that is how backwards myself and my uh, fiance bent over to keep it a secret. We didn't tell nobody. We flew to a different airport. She's in a disguise because she's in a lot of pictures with me. So uh, wrestling fans, they'll probably see her first. She's 10, blonde, just jack, stacked, anything you can imagine. So they would see her first. And they're like, wait a minute, that's Hurricane's woman. If Hurricane's woman's here, then Hurricane's here. They would put it together. So she put on a wig and glasses. I had a scarf wrapped around my face in the airport. they flew us to actually Newark, uh, get, put us in a limo to take us to Philly. And when we get to the arena, they come out with the big umbrellas to hide us getting out of the limo. Wow. And um, so we, you know, we worked really hard to keep this a secret. So, and I was so happy with that reaction because you, you, you know, you got to have the confidence to think you're going to get a good reaction, but you never know. Maybe they don't get you. <laughs> but, uh, Philly was very kind to me, and uh, it was one of the pops of the night, and I still say that with all confidence. It was a, it was a nice pop and a nice moment. And oh, John, Cena, John Cena going along with the uh, with the idea was was a true professional, and that, that was very cool for him. 
Well, that's still one of the pops that people have on like the top 10, top 20, like biggest pops or biggest returns because it came out of nowhere. Yeah. And I think, um, and it kind of harkens back uh, to something I had to struggle with in WWE previously with that character. They always underestimated the popularity of the hurricane for whatever reason, you yeah. know, I was a guy that never struck out at base. You know, every time you put me out there, I, I'm either hitting a home run or at least I'm getting on base. My batting average was immaculate. So they really, I think they still kind of underestimated it. Uh, with You can tell with how quickly I was eliminated and, uh, that's not a choice. That's not my decision. And I wasn't going to show up and go, I think I should be in there longer. I'm not going to do that. I'm like, Hey, I'll do it. Whatever you want. You know, I'm, I'm that type of guy. So, but I do, they did realize that I should have been out there longer. Yeah. I, I was a really, really big fan of your work in WCW. And I, I still am blown away whenever I watch uh, clips of the vertebraker. Where did, where did this idea come from? Cause it looks terrifying to take. Yeah, that's the Kudo driver. That's a Japanese uh, uh, move uh, uh, that a female wrestler that's named Kudo does. And um, so definitely got that from her, 100%. Um, another guy that I saw do it was Mike Modest. He did it. And um, I had uh, experimented with it on the indies, but never had never did it on a WCW. And there's a, especially at that time, there wasn't a lot of guys because I would wrestle heavyweights on the indies a lot. There wasn't a lot of guys that I could actually pick up. And Fast forward to WWE when it got banned. That was one of the reasons I didn't fight the banning of it because there weren't but two or three guys in the whole roster I could pick up. Right. Not in that particular move because you circle underneath them and you're basically deadlifting their body from a bent over position. It's really, you know, if they're really heavy, that's hard to do. Um, but there was a time in a three count when I was kind of the, uh, I was the glue of that team. Shannon really, Shannon's wrestling training wasn't where it would, uh, later come to be. Shannon was a really good high flyer, but he wasn't a chain wrestler of any sort. Evan was really new. At that point, uh, 1999, I mean, I still got eight, eight and a half years in the business. So although everybody thought we were young, you know, I was the one putting the matches together. Okay, we need you here. We need you here. We need you here. But I was giving them the limelight. All right, Shannon, you do a high spot here. And then Evan, you do a high spot here. Well, then what was happening was they were getting all that uh, spotlight. And Sugar Shane's the one doing all the detail work, which is the important work. Yeah. Um, I started to realize that I was like, okay, I gotta get I gotta stop, stop worrying just about that. I need to be a little selfish here. And when I started doing the vertebraker, immediately I became a threat. You know, and that's something I've tried to encourage other guys that if if all you got is high if flashy, you know, there's a difference. Ray Mysterio, when he started doing that 619 and knocking people out, all of a sudden, Ray Mysterio was a little different. You know, he wasn't just a flip flop fly guy. Now he can knock your ass out. Yeah. And from a psychological standpoint, you're more of a threat. So that's what the vertebrae did for me, too. Well, I, I went from being just another high flyer to a guy who could cripple your ass. And it just changed my perception. I'm so glad you brought up three count because I thought the theme song was so catchy. Do you still know the words, the lyrics to three, to the three count theme song? Oh yeah, no doubt, man. I can't get it out of my heart. I just can't. <laughs> and the other one, get up on your feet. Yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> one. Together. To be honest, I didn't like that one as much because we were making fun of ourselves. The other one we took seriously. And that was the heat. Once you start making fun of yourself, the, the fans are going to realize, okay, they think it's a joke. 
And that's a slight difference. Like the first one, we sung that like we really, you know, they can't get you out of my heart. That was the heat song. They really hated that. Yeah. There was one house show uh, loop that we did. And for some reason, Evan Courageous was in a singles match with one of the Volanos. And so um, Evan went out there and for whatever reason, the Volano went over. I don't know why. It was WCW booking. It was in like upstate New York. But we need a strong Volano win tonight. All right, whatever. <laughs> and so we did the song before the match. And then after the match, we did the song again. Even though we lost, it didn't matter. The heat was the song. And people are just booing like crazy. Well, now after intermission, because that match was probably second or third of the night, we go to intermission. After intermission, here comes out three count for a special encore presentation. <laughs> and these people are booing like hell. And we start doing it. We're all into it. And they start throwing trash. And this is NWO-level trash. Wow. It, it looks like a snowfall in there. <laughs> it is coming down. And Evan Courageous did one of the coolest things ever because somebody threw a um, – it was just a drink, but it looked like a KFC chicken bucket coming. It was huge. And Evan, Evan bent down and grabbed the circle and blocked it like Captain America. And I was like, <laughs> oh, shit. And I remember thinking that was so damn cool. So I picked up my circle, and I started blocking someone in trash. Well, what that did was invite people to throw more shit because now we're <laughs> And now it's coming down even worse, dude. But they're throwing coins, cigarette lighters, they're throwing shoes. Man. It was insane. And so we're still dancing. Meanwhile, here comes Sid Vicious behind us. And we don't know. We're still in there doing that shit, you know. And Sid Vicious is right behind Evan. Me and Shannon, you know, we're on the outside. We look and see Sid. We powder out of the ring. We powder out of our respective sides and we go around to the front of the ring. And we're like, Evan, turn around. And Evan is just doing fantabulous here. He's just going, yeah, yeah, y'all get it. Yep. Now the fans are going crazy because Sid's there. But Evan's playing it like they're actually finally cheering for him. And he's now he's really into it. He's breaking this shit down. And we're turning around, turning around. He turns around and Sid power bombs him or choke slams him or something. And we're supposed to pull Evan out after the bump, right? But when Sid choke slams and boom, all the trash flies up in the air and it comes down and covers Evan and we can't even see him. So we're like swimming through this trash, <laughs> trying to find a hand to pull him out. And it was so much heat. And we get to the back and Arn Anderson is there. And Arn's like, kid, he said, I've been with the Horsemen. I've been with the NWO. That's some of the most heat I've ever seen. And you're not going to get a bigger compliment than that. And we're like, yeah, we're so ecstatic. Here's the downside. Because they had to clean the ring and take a second intermission, they never let us do it again. No. Just because they had to take a second intermission, but so much heat. So we had we had so much fun with that with that. No. Who who with originally that. pitched this idea of three counts here? Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart 100 percent Me and Shannon now, we were teaming in uh Nashville, Tennessee. We were with um it was me, Shannon, Joy Mercury. And Christian York, who you might remember from TNA, yeah. we were called the Bad Street Boys. Now that was the um, brainchild of Brett Prentice and Bill Barings. They were the bookers of Nashville. So, and we didn't uh, actually go out there and sing and dance, but we were a boy band. And you can actually YouTube Bad Street Boys, Bad Street like uh, Michael Hayes boys. Yeah. And there's this music video that we did to Walking in the Sun. You remember that song? Dun 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 dun. Yeah. Whatever that shit is. And so they got this video of us, and and it was really good. And we knew that um, WCW got the tapes because Nashville Music City Wrestling was the, was the company. 
we knew that WCW got their TV and we knew that WWE got their TV as far as their tapes. So we, me and Shannon would drive nine and a half hours every other week, one way, nine and a half hours, one way, nine and a half back for a $40 guarantee just to be on this TV in the slim chance that WCW or WWE sees that TV because we were told they did in, in a slim chance to get noticed. So, um, and two, so now we're the Bad Street Boys, me and Shannon, uh, Joey and Christian. I found out uh, through the grapevine somehow that Chris Canyon, uh, my dude, is helping hiring cruiserweights for some kind of secret project that WCW had. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so I go to Shannon and say, hey, man, we need to get a tape to Canyon. You know, we need to send a tape of our stuff. Because I, I, I love tag teaming, you know, that's, I just love it. And I was kind of like, hey, let's send a tape of us. And Shannon's like, cool. Well, Shannon goes and sends a tape of just himself. <laughs> <laughs> now, he didn't mean it like that, but that's just what he did. You know, he didn't mean it bad. But um, uh, Canyon, if you saw Shannon's uh, highlight reel tape, you would have hired him right away. Because it's just, it's all of this stuff, especially at that time. I'm talking about 1999. Now everybody does a moonsault first day of business. Back then, it wasn't quite as prevalent. Sure. And they were looking for American cruiserweights, too, you know, because they had a lot of other luchadors, they had, you know, uh, people from Japan and other countries that didn't have a lot of Americans. So they were looking for that to build that cruiserweight division uh, even bigger. And so uh, Canyon had literally just came out of a meeting with Bischoff when Shannon called him on the phone. And Canyon, he later told me the story. He goes, I just thought that was fake. He goes, I'd seen the kids tape. I was blown away by it. The second I get done with this meeting, there he is on my phone. He goes, I just thought that was fake. <laughs> Shannon basically got hired over the phone because of that tape. That's how good, that's how cool Canyon was and how good that tape was. And fate may have something to do with it. I don't know. And Canyon asked him, is there, is there anybody you know, any other cruiserweight things? And Shannon, here's what Shannon came through like a champ. He goes, yeah, my boy Shane Helms. You know, he's uh, very experienced. He's one of the more experienced guys we have. Talking about we, Omega. And um, so they brought us in for a tryout and they brought us in for a tryout. But that was the uh, night after Owen fell. So Bischoff wasn't there. Uh, and that's the only reason I remember. It. I remember that, you know, because everybody's all, you know, of course, sad and um, shook because of, of what happened to Owen. But we did this uh, dark match and Jimmy Hart immediately comes to me and is pitching to me the three count idea. And Shannon had dressed, I always loved this story because Shannon had dressed kind of grungy just because, no reason. Sure. And, and Jimmy's like, you know, uh, can your partner afford some new clothes? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, he's just, that was just his style for this weekend. He, he's got a lot of cool shit. And he's like, so you guys can, you guys can dance, right? And I go, yeah, we can dance good. He goes, can you sing like a bird? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't give a shit what he asked me. The answer was going to be yes. And um, so I had this other kid, Evan Courageous, and uh, thinking about putting you guys, putting uh, you guys with him. You know, he'll be the heater, and you guys be the workers. I was like, okay. And, so that was it, hundred percent, Jimmy Hart. Wow, I think that the story of how you then became the Hurricane a few years later, I think it's it's so serendipitous. How is basically Austin and Rock? I mean, you can fill in this story much better than me, I'm sure. But you were wearing. Uh, the Green Hornet ring, and Austin was like, you know, what's this? And that's kind of oh, where it came hold from. Hold on. Did you say Green Hornet? Oh, Green Lantern. Jeez. Security. Security. The, the interview is over. 
Uh, let me go ahead and uh, just oh, put that. Goodness. Don't snap. Um, my apologies. We won't edit it, but uh, yes, Green Lantern. <laughs> I want to take a quick pause because our sponsor for this episode and many episodes before this, Bet Online, has been awesome. And with currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might be thinking, well, there's actually nothing to bet on now. And that's where you'd be wrong because our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they are bringing Vegas to you. If you're missing the NFL, no problem, because Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations that you can bet on. It's just like the real thing. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol stock prices. You can even bet on Nathan's hot dog eating contest. And it's all open 24 hours a day, and it's all online. Go to betonline.ag, use the promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. BetOnline, it's your online wagering solution. Also, a big thank you to our sponsor, Blue Chew. And guys, are you looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds? Mm, get to bluechew.com because bluechew.com has the first ever chewable that makes your performance in the bedroom on a whole new level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know that they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night. You can even take them on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office and have that conversation. And you don't need to spend time waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost. And once you're approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. So here's a great deal for you guys. Visit bluechew.com and get your first order for free when you use that promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 for shipping. Once again, that's bluechew, B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com. And the promo code is BLUEWIRE. Do you ever think about where your career would be now? Obviously, Hurricane was such a mega hit. What an incredible gimmick that people could relate to in so many levels. Do you think about where your career would be if Austin and Rock hadn't seen that, if it hadn't turned into what it had with your character? Uh, I mean, yeah, because it was such, that wasn't anything I had planned on whatsoever. You know, I was, a, I was a really good amateur wrestler. I got 22 gold medals. I never envisioned myself in a cape and a mask. But I'm one of those guys that, you know, comics when I was a kid weren't that popular. You know, and neither was pro wrestling. You know, I didn't care. That's what I loved. And I wore it on my sleeve. I let everybody know I, I love comic books and I love wrestling. And so I didn't hide it, you know. And now, you know, when uh, comics have dominated Hollywood for two decades straight, now everybody's a, a superhero fan. Yeah. Where were you people? Where were you in 2001 when I was doing it? All right. That's what I want to know. Um but yeah, I would wear comic book shirts to TV all the time. You know, we didn't have the dress code back then, but I wore comic book shirts all the time anyway. I had the Green Lantern tattoo. I guess I'll get a Green Hornet tattoo at some point. Just to, you know, <laughs> that way I won't even have to deal with this anymore. I'll, I'll have it covered. Um, they just knew. And Brian Grow, it's the head writer of Raw. He kind of always wanted to do a superhero game. He just never found the right guy. Mm. And if you remember, and this is one thing that I 
have have tried to really get people to understand that roster at that time was the most stacked roster that has ever been assembled. It was the Avengers Endgame. That's what it was. <laughs> the most stacked roster that there's ever ever been. I mean, it's Austin Rock. Triple H, Shawn Michaels, The Undertaker, Kane, Kurt Angle. Uh, for tag teams, you had the Hardys, Edge and Christian, the Dudleys. And then you had the WCW guys, too. Yeah, and well, they're gone. I mean, WCW is gone. ECW is gone. So yeah. everybody's under one roof. And it's yeah. just, man, it, it's just insane the amount of talent that's in there. And everybody's clamoring for TV time. And there's not enough TV time to put everybody on there. And so when they presented me with that idea, you know, for the uh, superhero, I was just like, yeah, I, was, I wasn't sure it would work. Nobody was. Yeah. You know? And um, the first time I walked down that hall in that cheesy ass outfit, the first one they gave me, man, the looks I got from some of the boys, they're like, <laughs> right. and, and I mean, some of them were encouraging, but it was one of those things like, oh, man, well. Good for you and take it one for the team. That shit sucks. You know, <laughs> but as it started to get over, here they come out of the woodwork. I knew it would work. I knew it would work. I'm like, man, every one of y'all shut the hell up. Y'all did not know. Um, but it was so much fun just growing with that character and making it work. Was, uh, it, it wasn't easy. And that's the thing. Everybody thinks that character was easy. It was incredibly hard. But it only worked because you put the effort in to make it work. I think you give that gimmick to nine other guys and it fails and you're the 10th guy, the nine, you know, the one out of 10 that actually makes that gimmick work. Yeah, hundred percent. I definitely agree with that. You know, um, it, it was just perfect for me and I don't know why, <laughs> like I said, I, was, I mean, I was a serious wrestler. If you saw me as Sugar Shane, if you saw me as Gregory Helms, like whoever, mm-hmm. when I went, had my heel run as Gregory Helms, is that anything like how I wrestled as Hurricane? And I don't think a lot of people have been able to do that in the business. There's been people that have taken uh, different identities, but they still wrestle exactly the same. I wrestled different. I yeah. walked different. I talked different. I looked different. You know, and I, I'm very proud of being able to do that. And I think that's one of the most understated uh, elements of my career, how I was able, how I was able to do that. I, I think what's so great about the Hurricane character is it was so over the top. And I feel like, there maybe was a point when you were starting out where you're like, do I really want to take it to that level of, you know, cheesiness? Did you, did you struggle with that early on? Yeah. 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 Without a doubt, because, you know, I mean, if you go back and watch Sugar Shane, that hybrid style that's so popular now. Yeah. I was one of the few guys doing that back then. And you're looking at 2000, like I started on TV in 99, 2000 and 2001 was, you know, Sugar Shane. What you know, that style wasn't easy to convince people of what I was doing, and I really didn't understand what I was doing. I was just, I knew I liked uh, the European style, I liked the Japanese style, I liked the lucha style, I liked the American style. I was combining it all, but it wasn't like I wrote that, wrote it down on paper that that was my plan. That's just, I took a lot of stuff I liked and combined it to work for me. Mm. Now, everybody does that, yeah, you no, know, but at that time, no, you know, especially when I came out with the little trunks and kick pads. There wasn't another lightweight in America doing that, you know. So, um, but I was serious, and I wanted to be that serious wrestler. I grew up on Ric Flair and the Horseman. That was what I wanted, you know. That was the goal. So now, fast forward to this fantastic character. I wasn't quite sure on how to pull that off. There was a lot of experimentation, um, a lot of stuff on the house shows that just slowly developed. And listening to the crowd and Pat Patterson, 
uh, really helped me out a lot. And he was just like, just listen to the crowd, listen to the people. He goes, on these, on, I can't really do his accent. I won't be able to do it justice. But he goes, he goes on, these, on these house shows, he goes, you try everything in the world. And what they pop for, you keep. And what they don't, fuck it. <laughs> it was absolutely true because and something that's really interesting and i caught some heat with this from the wrestling experts and the journalists because i started to wrestle differently and it's like man he just doesn't wrestle as good anymore and i'm like it's a performance have you guys ever stepped on a wrestling mat i i was an amateur for seven years i never did a collar and elbow tie up yeah i never yeah. ddt never did a figure four you know this is there's a performance art to this so I actually kind of had to wrestle down though. Because mm. I went out there in that cape and mask and I wrestled like Sugar Shane or what later became to be Gregory Helms. Yeah. They went, they didn't care. They didn't react. I tried this. I experimented with this. I would go out there and have those type of matches, all this technical wrestling that I can do. They didn't care. But when I hit them with that, yeah, oh, here they come. I hit them with one of these. Here they come. And I tried to choke slam with some guy 300 pounds. Here they came. Yeah, I was, and then you, you started know, hitting the choke slam, which I thought was a nice addition. And I, I, I saw another interview where you talked about you actually asked permission from the Undertaker to make sure he was okay with you doing it. Yeah, yeah. Well, the edict came down from Vince. Vince wanted to finish that match. It was when I won the cruiserweight title from Tajiri. It was a three-way. I believe Tajiri was the champ. The match was me, Tajiri, and Billy Kidman. So one of them was the champ. I left with him. <laughs> But yeah, the, and the finish and the finish was Hurricane with the choke slam that comes from Vince, like, and I'd never hit it before. Yeah, for me, uh, I just wanted to, and that was something I did early on too. Like I would try to do everybody's finish against them and fail miserably. That was just a comedic thing that I had I had added to the character. I feel like a lot of people started doing that later too. But hey, that's what you do. You steal shit that works. Nobody steals shit that doesn't work. Sure. So, uh, so yeah, I finally get to hit it, but now I'm like, man, I came up from a time where you just don't steal somebody's shit, you know, uh, especially that's on the show. You know, if you're stealing something from uh, Mexico, you know, all right, that's that's always been open, uh, mm. you know. But if somebody's on the show, you know, you're one of your teammates. Yeah, you don't go do this shit. I still believe that. I think it's one of the things that is definitely hurting um, the business. You know, it isn't a death, nothing that's going to kill it, but it's definitely hurting. And I think if you're creative enough, you should be able to come up with your own shit. Soapbox, a little soapbox there. <laughs> uh, but I was, but, you know, out of respect, I wanted to go to The Undertaker. And I did. I asked him about it. He was, he didn't give a shit. I had to go to Kane. Same thing. I showed Kane that respect. Uh, Big Show wasn't there that day. But when I finally did do a show with Big Show, I explained my uh, situation to him. He didn't care. Every one of those guys was super cool about it. Hmm. But it, I mean, basically, you can say Vince wants me to do this. I mean, even if one of those guys didn't agree, they're gonna have to do it anyway. I would guess. Yeah, you know, and too, like if, if Undertaker would have not been cool with it, I would have, I would have had to, I would have had to go to Vince and say, hmm. so I just want you to know that's the Undertaker's finish, and he wants, you know, whatever one of his finishes. I, I would have had to do that, but hmm. Undertaker was cool. He goes. Actually, he was joking. He goes, just do it better in Big Show and you're okay. <laughs> and so I tried to do it differently, too. Like, a lot of times I would go down to my knees. Yeah. I would go, boom, and I would get this big ricochet. Um, if I would do it to guys like Jamie Noble, I might stay up on my feet or guys that were my size. But when I would do it 
that it would take a lot of effort, I would kind of go down with it. So I tried to like at least spin it to make it a little bit of moment. I think the match that really put you on the radar for a lot of people, at least on that next tier, is the work you did with The Rock. Uh, yeah. What was it about Dwayne that, you know, he really gave you the rub? What was it about him that, what did he see in you that he wanted to put you to that next level? Uh, I mean, you know, DJ just likes entertainment. He's an entertaining guy. He sees, again, you can be the best wrestler in the world, but is it entertaining these people? Like, I mean, you have to be honest about what pro wrestling is at some point. Hmm. If fans were just interested in the wrestling, then the Olympics would be having pay-per-views. Hmm. Yeah. You know? And that's a hard pill for some people to swallow. Mm, I mean, yeah. I work amateur wrestler. I love that. I'm not knocking it. But once you get to a, a higher degree level of that amateur wrestling, it kind of, it's really only cool when you get somebody that's really good and they're slinging the shit out of somebody that sucks, what mm. we call a fish in amateur wrestling. That's when it's really cool. You know, when guys are really good, sometimes it's such a stalemate and all these little nuances that if you have the trained eye, you enjoy because I still enjoy it. I go watch the NC State Wolfpack all the time. Mm. I, I still love amateur wrestling. But pro wrestling adds a huge degree of entertainment to it. And uh, DJ loved that, you know, and he loved the craziness of the character and he loved my commitment to it. You know, uh, what you're talking about earlier, we, I've seen uh, guys that had gimmicks and the reason they didn't work was because they didn't commit to it. Mm. You know, I didn't believe in the hurricane. Then the fans wouldn't have believed in me. So I had to commit to it. And um. And two, like we were only supposed to do one pre-tape. That whole feud that me and uh, uh, Rock had was only going to be one pre-tape, but it went so well, so good that it snowballed. You know, luckily the office they they felt it when because we touched later on in the ring that night. There's a battle royal. We did the one, uh, the first pre-tape, the one we called me the Hamburglar, which was a fantastic one, and that's live too. And I'm sitting there going, all my reactions is just me being an idiot. Like, I don't. You don't see superheroes do that. Even the way the hurricane talked, there's no superhero that talks like that. I don't know why I did any of that shit. You know, it's got to, to be funny. And, um, but we played off of each other really well. And so uh, later that night, there's that battle royal, and he's laying the smack down on this guy, and he goes and lays a smack down on this guy. And then he comes to the hurricane, and I'll block it. And I start firing back, and you can just feel it in that crowd. That crowd starts rumbling. And it's a really good moment. And, you know, I hope the audience, I mean, I hope the office, I should say, I hope the office uh, heard that and I hope that they felt it too, but I don't know. Cause sometimes they miss it. You know, they're back there with headphones on and sometimes with those headphones on, you miss the actual reaction of the audience, but they did. They liked it. Uh, Dwayne liked it. And we just snowballed after that. And we kept having a couple good promos until we had uh, what would be his last match on Monday Night Raw was with me in Cleveland. And you won. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't want to say it at all. I, I, I'll say it for you. You got wins over The Rock. You got wins over Ric Flair. I mean, that that's pretty impressive. Yeah, not bad. Not bad at all. And at what, at what point uh, did Rosie come into the fold? Because, you know, did your character really need a sidekick? And, and when they presented that to you, what was your first reaction to that? No, I, I didn't need it at, at all. Whenever they gave me sidekicks, you know, that was – um. A lot of superheroes have sidekicks, but a lot don't. I definitely didn't need it. You know, you don't need two Undertakers. You don't need two Stone Colds. Anytime you got somebody, you know, duplicating uh, your gimmick and your character, they water it down a little bit. You know? Sure. Um, so, no, I definitely didn't need it. But in the case of Molly, in the case of Rosie, in the case of Stacey Keebler, they had these. And before that, it was Ivory. And mm. um, 
they had these talents that they were very talented and they wanted to do something with them. And then they had the hurricane and the strength of that character. They could add a layer to these other talents. So it gave something for Molly Holly to show a little bit different side of herself, um, a little bit more personality than she had been able to show as Molly Holly. Uh, same thing with Rosie. You know, they wanted to do something with Rosie. And um, this super talented, huge Samoan who, uh, believe it or not, we were patterned off of, uh, if you've ever seen the TV show Lost, we were patterned off of Hurley and uh, whoever the little guy was. I was the little guy. I can't remember his name. Wow. And that's who we were actually patterned off of. Uh, so when he came with me to the idea, I was just like, initially at first, I was like, I've already done this. I've already had sidekicks before. Are we Are going to do this same shit again? You know? <laughs> Uh, but this was when we were on Spike TV. Uh, Raw had moved to Spike TV and Spike TV was going to be, you know, it was going to be the network for men. It was going to be cutting edge and we were going to be able to push that envelope. And the hurricane was going to be able to say, holy shit, every week. Because, uh, Rosie was a superhero in training. Um, but as it turned out, Spike TV wasn't quite as cutting edge as they uh, to believe in. Then I wasn't allowed to say holy shit no more. And I'm now I got a 400 pound Samoan with SHIT on his chest. That's right. So, I'm like, damn. But um, I like Matt as a human being. You know, uh, Maddie, got, I fell in love with him as a human being right away. Super nice guy. Just uh, he, he would take up for me. Like if anybody was talking shit to me, he'd be right there. He's like, that's my buddy. Don't talk shit. <laughs> mm. And so, uh, man, and we worked really hard. I actually got with an artist. Mike Borkowski out of Syracuse, and we designed Rosie's outfit because I wanted him out of that SHIT. Um, harking back to what I was talking about, three count, you don't, you have to believe in yourself. If you're laughing at yourself, the audience is going to know you don't take it seriously. Right. Yeah. So I knew I needed him out of that. And although he wouldn't say it, I, I mean, he laughed at the joke once or twice, but you don't want to walk out there with SHIT on your chest all the time. Right. So I wanted him out of there. So uh, I added that outfit. So we designed his outfits um, to get him a more superhero look. And dude, we just we just worked. We put in the work to uh, get over. I mean, they gave us that wasn't a push. That was a pat. You know, I can't really say I ever got a super push. I got a couple pats here and there. Mm. And you have to make the most out of them. And we got we had the pat, but we just worked so hard to the point where we were the, the most over team they had. We were selling merch, the crowd, the reactions are there, the crowd loves us, and they literally had no choice but to give us those tag team titles. Even though they were trying, bending over backwards to push this team and that team and that team, we were the ones that were getting the reactions and selling the merch. So they almost had no choice. I mean, they do always have a choice, but that was my favorite championship win of all, you know, the Cruiserweight title is what I'm most known for, I guess, Yeah. in terms of championships. Sure. But my favorite is with me and Rosie because we worked so damn hard to get to that position where they would make us champs. And when we came through the back, 90% of the locker rooms there waiting for us, standing ovation, just because they knew. They knew how hard we worked and, and that we deserved it. And that doesn't always happen in the business. And it's one of my favorite moments in my career. So, so many of these moments you've talked about are with the crowd basically puts you over or gives you a certain reaction and makes the back see like, oh, these guys, you know, deserve this push. What happens now when there's no crowd in these shows to drive that narrative? Uh, you're getting a one-sided story. You know, most stories have two sides. <laughs> we get only one side of it. So uh, pro wrestling needs an audience more than any form of entertainment that exists out there, except stand-up comedy. 
That's what this is right now. If you go to a stand-up comedy show, I don't care how hilarious this guy is. If you're the only one in the audience, it's not going to be as funny. It's just not. That's what we're dealing with right now with the uh, in the COVID era of watching wrestling without without fans. Fans are a huge part. I've always known that, you know. And I think a lot of people that might have taken up the audience for granted, thinking that they're good no matter what, they're learning. They're learning a hard lesson right now. You know, that audience is super important. They're a powerful part of the equation of what makes pro wrestling what it is. A powerful part. I don't know what the alternative is, though, because I'm, I'm happy there's at least still some sort of tiny little bit of normality in the world because pro wrestling's live every week. Yeah. I think that if that wasn't there, it'd be even more strange. Well, yeah, it's definitely better than nothing, without a doubt. And my hat's off, my collar and elbow hat. Very nice. I'm a big collar and elbow fan myself. Uh, Would you like to tell everyone your coupon code that they can get 10% off? It's generally uh, hashtag Helms is what I try to make it for everything. Colorbrand.com uh, slash, I believe it's Shane Helms com. But just sh- search for Helms or again, I, sh- I should come up. So, And they actually are working on a new show for me too. Oh, um, nice. But I don't know what I was talking about. You were oh, saying your hat, your hat is off to them. <laughs> yeah, take my hat off to, yeah, all these companies and these talents that are going out there and working to give us some form of entertainment. Uh in the form of pro wrestling and my hats off to him, you know, so uh, it's, like I say, it's better than nothing. And it is, it, it's brave, you know, cause you know, it, it is a weird time that we're living in and nobody has all the answers, whether you agree with it or disagree with it. Nobody on either side of that argument has all the answers. Yeah. Are you hopeful that when stuff does start getting back to normal, that your job will be there waiting for you? Yeah, yeah, I did like feeding my family. I was I was very fond of that. <laughs> and I'm definitely hopeful. You know, I love being a producer and I love working in wrestling, you know. Um, but I love TNA. I loved Ring of Honor. I loved every company I worked for and I love WWE. So if that's there, I hope that it is. If it's not, I'll find something. You know, I I still have a lot to offer. I, I'm, I'm pretty diverse in my skill set, you know. So um, I'm definitely hopeful, but at the same time, I, I'm not counting on that. Mm. I, I think it would be a mistake for me to sit back and do nothing and wait on this for me to call. I have never done that in my entire career, and it's not going to start in 2020. So, yeah, I've always wondered how many hurricane masks do you own? Not that many. Those leather masks would last for a while. I'd make them last for a couple of years. So, how this, many do you have in your house right now? Oh, you have them there. Well, this is a plastic replica one. Okay, uh, yeah. Top yeah, they made that for me to um to when I do like promos and videos and stuff, but it, I, I still have to do the eye makeup, so I normally just put on my real one. This is kind of a decoration piece. Uh, I don't know if you can see this pro wrestling tees too, my little oh, yeah, yeah. things called. Um, but probably overall, only got like five or six. I don't have as many as you think. Definitely not Ray Mysterio, you know, <laughs> hundreds and probably thousands of them and all. My leather mask, because they were really expensive. Um, they're like when the, the solid leather ones were probably five, six hundred bucks a piece to make. And when I went to the ones when I came back after the neck injury um, in WWE and I had the long hair and I had the more of an evil looking mask, yeah. that was a leather and latex combination that was made by a special effects studio out of Atlanta. And that thing was really expensive. So I only had like two or three of those because. I think the to make the mold was like twelve hundred bucks to get the mold and the mask of that first one. So 
I'm not going to run around and spend twelve hundred dollars a week on a mask. <laughs> on a bunch of different masks. Well, the first time you did it, it Go wasn't ahead. a mask; it was face paint that you had on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a funny story with that if you've never heard. Uh, because when they presented the idea to me about wearing the mask, I'm like, yeah, sure. So they bring to me, and this is no lie, a Lone Ranger mask <laughs> that they got from like Party City or somewhere like that, or Family Dollar. It's the cheapest 99 cent looking shit you've ever seen. And it had a very thin string on the back, like on those cheap Halloween masks, if you know yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm looking at this from what the fuck is this? This ain't going to work at all. I don't want to be a problem child. I, I never want to be one of those guys that complains to the office and creative about the deal. I, I will, but I don't want to, you know? Mm. And so uh, I see Vince McMahon. He looks halfway in a good mood. So that's how what I always did. When I wanted to talk to Vince, I would gauge his mood. If he was happy, I'd go over. If he was uh, ill, that shit could wait till next week. <laughs> but luckily he looked in a good mood. So I went over. And I haven't had one creative conversation with Vince at this point whatsoever. This is early on in the career. It's always just been, hey, sir, how you doing? That's shit, sort of shit. And so I went up to him and I was like, yeah, sir, I don't think this mask is going to work. He goes, you don't want to wear a mask? He immediately thinks I'm trying to back out or something. You don't want to wear a mask? I was like, no, I just don't want to wear this mask. Like, this mask is a piece of shit. It's going <laughs> to fall off in like 10 seconds and I'm going to look like I don't even care. I'm going to look like I'm not committed to the gimmick. And he he loved, he immediately caught on what I was saying and loved what I was where I was coming from. He goes, "What about makeup?" Like right off his hand, he goes, that. and I go, "This is the best part of the story." I go, "Like the Road Warriors?" He goes, like "The Ultimate Warrior." <laughs> like in his mind, there's a difference, and I was going, "Okay, like the Ultimate Warrior." Shit, I don't know. <laughs> so I go, uh, "Yeah, is there anybody here that can do that?" He goes, "Yeah, the makeup lady, Jan. Go to her and tell her I want a mask." And I go, "Okay." And so I go to the makeup lady and on TV, she would do it at TV and it'd be all these nice little you know, swirls and shit. And then at the house shows, I'd have to do it myself and it looked like a terrible bit of shit. <laughs> terrible. How long after wearing the face paint did you finally go, you know what, I think we need something more permanent than this? Oh, we immediately started working on something, but it was, oh, only, you know, I think I only had to make it for a month or two, whatever, before we got, um, Terry Anderson, who's one of the seamstress, she had a friend that made Kane's mask. So um, I went to his house. He did the mold of my face, which is fucking terrifying if you've never done that. They just submerge you. They put this shit all over your face. They got to like put like little straws in your nose so you can breathe. Wow. But other than that, you just submerge. They're like, I don't know this guy. I don't know him. I mean, this could, he could murder me right here. And that would just be, or I could be the gimp from Pulp Fiction. I don't know what's going to happen in here. But um. Yeah, you end up making that mask, but I couldn't see for shit out of that mask, man. Like, uh, if you if you were like, if you were this close to me trying to shake my hand, I I wouldn't be able to see down. It blocked so much of my downward vision, and that's part of the reason I kind of developed that bent over hurricane walk because I couldn't see for shit in that mask. Wow. And it's one of the reasons I took out like springboards, like I would do them sometimes on the live events, but I was like, I can't see that rope. I'm just I can't feel it, and I hope it's there, but. You like when you do a springboard, you're not necessarily looking at the rope, but through your peripheral, you can kind of see the pads and you know where it's at. Sure. I was my vision was so obscured, I had to kind of tone down a lot of lot of stuff. Man, I think that I, I can't believe we talked this long without uh, mentioning how awesome this shirt is. And I'm sorry for anyone who's just listening and not watching this, but what a design! Yeah, this is an homage to Jim Lee. 
That's uh, No Marsh to Jim Lee's Art. You can find this on ProWrestlingTees.com slash Shane Helms. Uh, they got a bunch of different ones like that. It's, and I, I'm going to be honest, I love that site. My shirts are better than anybody's. <laughs> Especially if you love comic books. You got to love comic books. And, 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 who, and let's be honest. I've been wearing a mask telling people to stand back for 20 years. Hmm. Now everybody's doing it. Uh, <laughs> way ahead of the curve here. Yeah, nah, that's a curve I wish I wouldn't have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this has been such an honor and such a privilege to be able to speak with you. And I I've heard so many great things from so many people about you, but so amazing to be able to spend this last hour with you, Shane. Is that how long it's been? It doesn't seem like that long, man. No, that's kind of a good interview. No, well, thank you. And I, I just, I super appreciate your time. And, uh, you know, I know it's a weird time in the world right now, but uh, I'm really stoked to see, you know, where you rebound from here. And cause I know it's only going to be bigger and better things for you. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, uh, I'm, I'm looking at, the, looking forward to the challenge, you know, uh, like I said earlier, that's the only way you get through stuff like this, man, you got to come out swinging. So I was prepared, uh, and to, I, I definitely want to reiterate, I'm in a blessed place, you know, very fortunate. There's, way more people with, uh, you know, in more difficult situations than I'm in. So uh, I'm in no position to complain. I don't want to complain. Um, I'm very fortunate and I'm aware of that. I mean, as we wrap things up here, what if there's, you know, a, a upcoming wrestler that's watching this right now that's been handed a gimmick that maybe they don't think is great or they have an idea for a gimmick and they're not quite sure where to go with this. What, what kind of advice would you have for them? Commitment. You have to commit. You know, I mean, it's, you can't imagine every actor in Hollywood has wanted to do. You think Captain Kangaroo wanted to be Captain Kangaroo for 30 fucking years? You know? <laughs> That's I'm actually still in the Sam Kennison bit there. But um, you got to commit and everything has to match. Your music has to match. Like they had a little hip hop beat for me when I was first the hurricane. And I'm a hip hop kid. That's what I grew up on. Uh, I was actually just on the MC Searches podcast which blew my mind because I came out in the third base in 1991. Um, but I, the hip hop beat didn't match. It mm. didn't match the superhero. My style matched, you know, uh, there's guys that in the back, they're doing a the character and then in the ring, they're just a wrestler again. How do you make it match? You know, you make everything complement every other element of the gimmick. So, uh, that sounds complicated, but it's really not. I was a superhero through and through. Mm. A guy that believed he was a superhero through and through. This has been so enlightening. What a, what a conversation. So, Shane, again, thank you so much for this. My pleasure. My pleasure, man. I appreciate you. And I want to encourage everybody uh, to keep listening to this podcast, but also check out Highway, the number two Helms, also on iTunes. You can find me there. It's just me. I don't have any guests. Just my lonely ass. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually I got that from Bill Burr. Bill Burr is one of my favorite comedians, and I listen to his podcast. It's just him, and I'm like, I can do that. I can. I, I'm gonna try to do that. And strangely enough, uh, people have liked this version more than the version that I actually had. Yes, it's very cool. Yeah. So, thanks again, man. My pleasure, man. Let's do it again. Part two. Sign me up. Sounds great. Okay. We'll do, do the that. next one in person. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. We'll do that. Perfect. I won't copy. you. Thank you. I, my chest is very tender after that. Such good stuff there. Take a screenshot. Tag me at Chris Van Vliet. Tag him. He's at Shane Helms.com. Let us know that you were hanging out with us 
for this last hour. So good. Highway to Helms is Shane's podcast. You can find that wherever you're listening to this one. And what a career he's had. And it's so exciting knowing that it's it's not over yet. Future Hall of Famer, for sure. I think we can all agree on that one. But the question, I guess, now is, who should induct him? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe one of the Hardys. Like, the really close friends with the Hardys. Maybe one of the Hardy boys. I don't know. I guess we'll find out soon enough. And I'm loving the conversations that we've been having over the last week. Well, I, I mean, I genuinely appreciate all the conversations that we've had, but these last few with Zack Ryder, with Heath Slater, and of course, Hurricane here, so good. And now we've got interviews lined up with Aiden English, Kurt Hawkins, and Bully Ray, and many more on the way. Those are the three that we've locked in. We haven't done them yet, so I, <laughs> I hope this isn't the case of like me announcing that these interviews are going to happen and then them not happening, but I guess it's too late now. So Aiden English, Kurt Hawkins, and Bully Ray are on the way. And we got we got a few people that are like uh, that were recently released from WWE that want to do the interview, but said, you know what? Can we wait till the 90-day non-compete clause thing is up? So that means in July, I think we'll be getting some more. Man, I'm excited about this. Zig Ziglar said, you don't have to be great to start, but you have to start to be great. Mm. Chew on that. Enjoy your week. We'll see you on Friday for Aiden English.